Good evening, everyone. It's time for Sean the Baptist Live on this Wednesday, November 18th, the Feast of St. Rose Philippine Duchenne, the only canonized saint in the Catholic Church to live and work in Kansas. Now, we, we hope perhaps there'll be at least one more, maybe some more from Kansas. But right now, St. Rose Philippine Duchenne, a saint you might not have heard of, is in fact our solitary claim to fame for the only saint to live and work in Kansas. This being her feast day, we're going to talk a little bit about Mother Duchenne tonight. She did found a religious order of the, the Sacred Heart, and so she is the founders of that community. So she, as uh, the Mother Superior, has the title of Mother Duchenne. Uh, we're also going to talk about a martyr, St. Juan de Padilla, the proto-martyr of the United States. Uh, another saint perhaps you've not heard about. And then someone that you may have heard of who's not a saint, Bishop Jean-Baptiste Miege. If you've heard of Bishop Miege in Kansas, it's probably because of the high school named after him. Bishop Miege was the first bishop of what is now the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas. We'll talk a little bit about his time as bishop and his history and the organization of our own diocese. We'll look at a little bit of history tonight uh, and, and a little bit more of up to our present day. Uh, thanks for all those who are joining online tonight. I see Frank is on here as always. Welcome, Frank Roses. And uh, we got... Uh, Oh, a dozen or so more other people on here tonight. So uh, I do hope that these uh, Sean the Baptist live shows will be uh, a chance for, for people to interact a little bit. It's a, a little bit of an uncertain time, I suppose. I, I'm getting pretty sick of hearing that, actually. Like, these are unprecedented times, or in these uncertain times, I am so ready to go back to precedented times, let me tell you. But considering that we continue to live in unprecedented times, uh, I, I hope that you will join uh, me and your, your fellow Catholics uh, live Wednesdays at 6.30 uh, for this Sean the Baptist live show. It's not about me. Uh, it's about you, and I'm going to try to maybe keep you entertained a little bit tonight. But uh, we're going to talk about the history of the Catholic Church in Kansas, and there are so many topics of this could just be their, their own full show. So if you've got questions as we go, feel free to type them in the comments box. I can see you there. And uh, give me a shout out. Let me know where you're from. Uh, check in with what parish maybe you're from. A lot of people from St. Patrick Catholic Church here in Kansas City, Kansas. But I know we have uh, people various places throughout the country, uh, as well as the various parishes of uh, around the Archdiocese of Kansas City, Kansas. So if you've ever wondered a little bit about where did we come from? How did we become an archdiocese? What even is an archdiocese? What's the difference between a diocese and a, an archdiocese? Well, we'll get into that uh, a little bit tonight. But as we do... Uh, I think it's important that we open tonight uh, with a prayer. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the gift of St. Rose Philippine Duchenne, uh, one of the, the great saints of the early days of America who came to Kansas in the 1840s to serve your people here. We pray that we who are blessed live in the state of Kansas might have the same zeal to be here that St. Philippine had all those years ago, that we would desire to spread the faith as much as she and the, the Jesuit missionaries who came here did, that through the intercession of St. Juan de Padilla, the proto-martyr of our Americas, that we would be willing to lay down even our lives to spread the gospel to these beautiful Great Plains of Kansas. We ask you to inspire people tonight with uh, the gift of the Spirit to hear what you would have them hear and to ask any questions that they would have as you prompt them, Holy Spirit. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right. Well, first off, I, I mentioned uh, someone who you might not be familiar with, uh, Juan de Padilla. Now, who the heck is that? Um, well, I, I gave him the, the title there, Proto-Martyr, which means first martyr, because he is credited with being the first person to die for the faith in what is now America. Uh, he was a, a Franciscan, uh, so one of the, the friars minor. And he came to Mexico in about the, the 1530s or so uh, and, and did work in Mexico. But if you remember back to your uh, American history days, at least I still Back in my day, I learned about the various explorers. It was still okay to talk about Columbus and explorers going off and, you know, we would say discovering the, the New World. Of course, we, we recognized the natives that were here as 
people always did. The whole reason people came here largely in the beginning was uh, for religious reasons to baptize a bunch of people who didn't know about Jesus. Uh, imagine that. Um, we'll talk a little bit perhaps about some of that uh, missionary zeal. But yeah, why risk your life to go sail across the ocean? Well, I mean, eventually some people might come for, for money or things like that. But the, the first people who wanted to make these voyages, um, religious people. Because keep in mind that the, uh, the theology of the church to, to this day, um, but especially uh, prior to the Second Vatican Council, we, we understood that without baptism, you can't go to heaven. Jesus Christ came and died for us because we needed it. And without it, there's just no possibility of us being saved and going to heaven. So people over living all comfy in Europe um, who thought, hey, you know, we're living good. Uh, they said, but hey, there's this entire new place over there that Columbus just, you know, discovered for the Western world. Uh, and said, wow, none of these people know about Jesus. We don't want them all to go to hell. We need to go over there and tell them about Jesus. And we need to baptize them. And uh, that's the thing that led people to eventually follow in the footsteps of Columbus. It's, it's why he came over here in the first place. Columbus was, was not seeking land or territory for himself. He already had that I, fame. I, he didn't even live that much longer after that. Uh, it was a quite a hardship. Uh, Columbus, along with all the early people who came, uh, although with mixed motives, the first thing Columbus does is, is plant the, the cross. Uh, on the shores. We're getting ready to celebrate Thanksgiving Day, and people always argue when was the first Thanksgiving. 1492, when Columbus sets foot on what is now the Americas, the Bahamas, uh, for, for the first time, he plants the cross, and they celebrate the first Thanksgiving, which was Eucharist. means Thanksgiving in Greek. The first Thanksgiving was the Catholic Eucharist, Mass. That's what they did when they landed. So, along after Columbus comes other missionaries, uh, along those the Franciscans then come with little Juan de Padilla. And he is a Franciscan friar. And eventually he goes with the famous explorer Coronado. He's looking for the famous seven cities of gold. And he's going all up into North America. And eventually they get up, uh, they're looking for the city of Quivira. Those of us around Kansas City recognize a street named Quivira, an Indian tribe named Quivira. Uh, well, they're looking for this city, and they don't find the gold because it it ain't there. But what they do find are people who need catechesis, who need to be taught about Jesus. And so although Coronado decides to get the heck out of there because there's no gold, uh, Juan de Padilla and a couple other brothers decide we're going to stay because we got to tell these people about Jesus. And they do. And they get up into what is now, we believe, Kansas. And there are uh, some not very friendly natives kill Juan de Padilla and his brothers. And uh, we're not exactly sure where this took place, but we believe it was western Kansas or eastern Colorado. We're going to say Kansas. Uh, so the, the first martyr to give their lives in North America happened in Kansas. Juan de Padilla, proto-martyr. So if you want to know first saint from Kansas, we're going to talk about Kansas saints tonight. Uh, Juan de Padilla. It's, you know, he's not... Uh, known for sure, but probably. Okay, so that's, uh, when is that? That's about uh, 1540s, something like 15, I think like 1544. November November 30th, 1544 is the uh, death of Juan de Padilla. So pretty early. I just say that to get that out of the way on who is our, our first saint, in case you're you're wondering about first saints there. So the, the saint that is our feast day today, though, is the, the one that really has some uh, claim to fame. And, and that is St. Rose Philippine Duchenne. Now, I have to say that um, I never knew about Rose Philippine Duchenne my entire upbringing. Even though I, I was born in Leavenworth and, and grew up in the, the Archdiocese of Kansas City and Kansas my whole life, I didn't know about St. Rose Philippine Duchenne until I got to college. And at the St. Lawrence Catholic Campus Center at the University of Kansas, there is a big stained glass window of St. Rose Philippine Duchenne. And I'm like, who the heck is that? And they're like, well, that's Rose Philippine Duchenne. She was a, a saint who lived in Kansas. I'm like, what? A saint lived in Kansas? You gotta be kidding me. Why don't I know about this? Uh, well, where did she live? Well, here's the story. 
St. Rose Philippe Duchenne was, was born in France, and uh, she wanted to be a missionary. And she wanted to come to America, and particularly to work with the Native Americans. And that was her dream. And so she eventually got to, to come over and came up uh, the Missouri River, uh, and they came all the way up Mississippi River to the Missouri River at St. Louis. And there she established a convent, the Sisters of the Sacred Heart, in St. Charles, Missouri, uh, and got her order going there. But, of course, she always wanted to go to the Indian Territory uh, so that she could go work with the Native peoples. And she kept asking, and at this time there were, this is about 1840s, uh, and there are some Jesuits who are working out in Kansas. The Potawatomi Indians have been moved from uh, Indiana, basically, down uh, to the missions in in Kansas. Uh, give you a little bit of uh, an understanding of, of what that would look like. Here is a, a map of uh, the United States in 1840. Now, that dark green section in the middle, I don't know if you can read it, that says uh, unorganized territory. Yeah, that's, uh, that's us. That is what would come to be known as the Apostolic Vicariate of Indian Territory east of the Rockies. But that's the, what the country looked like in 1840 when Rose Philippine Duchenne decides she's just got to get to the Indian country. So she's in Missouri. You can see Missouri is the last state uh, to be added there west. So you've got, at that point, Missouri and Arkansas. The Compromise of 1850 uh, not yet uh, come about, but we've got Missouri there. And so there is no Kansas yet. I know, it's sad. There is a Missouri, there is no Kansas. Not even a Kansas territory at this point in 1840. That doesn't happen until 1850. Uh, so, or even later. Uh, so we've got the unorganized territory, that kind of diagonal dark green area. You see the, the little squiggly part that is the eastern border, that is the Missouri River. And then you've got, you can see it's parts of Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota, Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana. That is what will eventually become the territory of the diocese that we are in now. So you see just how large that was. So that's where uh, Mother Duchenne comes. In 1841, she leaves St. Charles, Missouri, and she finally gets to come to Kansas to work with the natives. And she comes to the land, which is now the Archdiocese of Kansas City, to the Sugar Creek Mission. So Sugar Creek is down south in Lynn County, Kansas. And the the church down there uh, is Sacred Heart Church in Mound City. I had the great blessing to be pastor of Sacred Heart Church in Mound City, and um, they would have named the church after St. Rose Philippine Duchenne, uh, but in uh, 1941, when uh, she was beatified, uh, it was you couldn't name churches after just blesseds. You had to be saints, so they named it Sacred Heart after her uh, her missionary order. Uh, so that church is in Mound City, is the shrine to St. Rose Philippine Duchenne in Kansas. The actual site of the, the mission with the Indians uh, is about a 15 minute or so drive north and west of Mound City. Uh, been there many times, again, never knew about it growing up. So probably some of you are you know, from Kansas City and you're listening to this right now and you're like, we have, we have a shrine to a, a saint who actually lived in Kansas. Uh, yeah, we do. And, and sadly, uh, a lot of people don't know about it. Um, so it's actually uh, some archaeological work has been done there. And you can see the, the remains of uh, the foundations of various buildings from the mission. And so um, it's a, actually a very nice, quiet place to go pray. I go there all the time uh, to, to get away and pray. I feel very close to, to St. Philippine down there. Uh, but she comes there in 1841, and at this point, get this, she is 71 years old. Think about that. Uh, even for our day, 71 is old. Well, she's 71 years old. She's a frail little old woman, but she is 
bent and determined that she is going to go teach the Indians about Jesus. That's been her life's mission. And so she finally gets to do it in 1841. Imagine you are 71 years old and you are coming in a, a steamboat, in a covered wagon, mules. This is not a fun journey, okay? This is not like, oh, let's take a little vacation and go off to beautiful Kansas. I mean, Kansas was beautiful, but getting here, not so easy. Uh, especially just even today, going down to Mound City, I mean, yeah, there, there are highways now, but it's it's still kind of in the middle of nowhere. Um, imagine Rosefield and Duchenne going to the Sugar Creek Mission. Holy cow. But she does, uh, and she gets there, and the interesting thing is, uh, this is a, a bit of God's providence, because she gets there, and she finds that although she's finally living the dream, she, she's got to do what she asked God to do for her entire life. Imagine that you had something you wanted to do your whole life for 71 years, basically. She wants to go to the Indians. She finally gets there. Hallelujah. She's, she's at the mission. She's with the beloved Native Americans that she's wanted to be with her whole life. And it doesn't work. She can't speak the language. She wanted to tell them about Jesus. She thought she would go and learn Potawatomi. Didn't work. She couldn't learn the language. I mean, imagine the kind of disappointment. That's That's got to be. I, I can't even imagine. So she does the, the only thing that she can do, and that's pray. She's like, well, I, I can't talk with them and tell them about Jesus, so I will pray. Uh, and she does. And she prays. And she prays. And prays some more. And she prays so much that uh, the little Indian children can't believe how much she prays. They see her in the chapel at night when they go to bed. And they get up in the morning. And she's still there. And it looks like she hasn't moved. They're like, come on. She had to like get up at some point and go to bed, right? So they put like little bits of corn and stuff around the, the folds of her dress. So they can see if she got up. Nope. They come in the morning. Corn's still there. She literally prayed all night. So the, the Potawatomi give her a Native American name, which means woman who prays always. So I think that's maybe a, a good kind of lesson for all of us. If we're, you know, we got our mindset on what's our plan, our goals, we think we know how it ought to be. And uh, even if we're trying to do something good, like Rosefield and Duchenne, I mean, she came to America from France. She wanted to go to the middle of nowhere, to the Indian Territory. Not a bad thing. And God's like, okay, fine, I'll let you. And then it didn't work. Uh, so sometimes, even though we have the best of plans, God's plans are always better. Uh, and despite the fact that she couldn't preach and tell people about Jesus with her words, uh, she was able to tell them a lot about Jesus with her prayer. In fact, so many of the natives... Uh, were converted because of her example of prayer. They thought, wow, if she spends all this time talking to this person, God, he must be real. This Jesus who the Jesuits are telling us about, this woman witnesses to, we believe uh, because of her prayer. So when we are weak, God is strong. And Lord knows Rose Philippine Duchenne was weak. In fact, sadly, she was so weak that she only stayed there about a year. I mean, she got there... And she only got to stay a year. Uh, winter in Kansas, log cabin, mm, hard for a 71-year-old, no heat. Um, so she goes back to St. Charles, and she would eventually die there in St. Charles about 10 years later, I think. And uh, her body is there to this day. Uh, I've, I've been there as, as well. And uh, she, was, she was later canonized, uh, a saint. And so the... Uh, the banner that they they hung at St. Peter's for her canonization uh, is a picture of the stained glass window at, at the my church in Sacred Heart, Mount City, uh, where I was at. And that that banner they have now in the church at St. Charles, uh, where where her body is. I will say that it's a little bit disappointing if you go to visit the church where she's buried today. Um, they started to build her a nice big traditional church and ran out of money. Uh, so they didn't finish it and reconfigured it in some weird, not direction-oriented fashion. It's kind of strange, and her relics are in uh, a sarcophagus that's kind of shoved up against an air conditioning vent. So 
just be prepared. If you if you go to see her body, it used to be designed to be under a beautiful high altar at the end of a very long nave, and they took that down and put her by an air conditioning vent. So maybe one day, uh, Rose Fifteen Duchenne, we can finish her church and uh, give her some more honor there uh, in St. Charles. But okay, enough uh, about uh, Rose Fifteen Duchenne. That's eighteen forty one. Uh, she is the, the one that we celebrate her feast day today as a saint. Um, that's some of the, the early history uh, in the diocese. So let me, uh, let me show you what, uh, what uh, will happen next. So uh, at that point, I said there's that um, the unorganized territory. Um, that's uh, no diocese there at all. You're like, is that the diocese? That's not the diocese. There is no diocese. Uh, the, there's there's no jurisdiction of the church there. That's how new it is. The church has not set up anything. The only thing there are these little missions, you know, not so far removed from what Juan de Padilla was trying to do. So we've just got little missions around the place and not very many of those. Well, finally, uh, it's decided that there, there needs to be a little bit of structure. Now, you don't just become... Uh, a diocese right away. Uh, the first thing you have to become is uh, the, the first kind of step in jurisdiction, uh, I guess you would call it, is to become a vicariate. Uh, and so uh, the vicariate of the Indian ter territory east of the Rockies uh, is created. And let me show you that uh, territory. That, that little spot right there, uh, that is basically where it says unorganized territory. Uh, yeah, that unorganized territory is in fact what becomes the vicariate of the Indian territory east of the Rockies. Uh, and that, that's important because a, a vicariate um, is kind of the predecessor to a diocese. So a diocese has a little more, mm, it's going to be more permanent, more staying power, if you will. So they they tend not to just go and make a diocese right away. They first make a vicariate to see, is this going to last? Um, and of, of course, we, we do end up lasting. Uh, but um, what we, we see there is that uh, basically it goes all the way from Oklahoma up to Canada uh, along the Missouri River to the east and all the way out to Montana uh, up there towards the west. So that is a that's a big piece of territory. And the very beginnings of that uh, we'll see on the scene a person who will become very famous uh, in our diocese, and that is Bishop Jean Baptiste Miege. Now he's he's not a bishop right away. He's the the first vicar uh, apostolic uh, because it's it's not a it's not a diocese yet. It's it's a vicariate. So a uh, diocese is headed by a, a bishop, and a vicariate is is headed by a vicar. So he is vicar apostolic uh, of the vicariate of the Indian Territory east of the Rockies. That means Pikes Peak. Bishop Miege will eventually go there because it's in his diocese. How about that? Um, so that's the, the very earliest. So 19th of July, 1850, the vicariate of the apostolic of the Indian Territory east of the Rocky Mountains is erected. Now, eventually, Kansas becomes a territory. And so then we, uh, we get our territory shrunk quite a bit. And the vicariate apostolic then becomes the vicariate of Kansas. Uh, the Kansas Territory still goes pretty far west, uh, so we've still got a bit of territory, but no longer does the bishop uh, have to deal with Montana, so that's helpful. Uh, and then eventually we split uh, the Diocese of Kansas up into three, uh, Wichita, which we would recognize, and Concordia. Uh, the first three dioceses, Kansas City, Wichita, and Concordia, get split up, and the Diocese of Leavenworth 
is created. So when we finally become a diocese, we are no longer a vicariate. We become a diocese. May 22nd, 1877. Now, um, it is the Diocese of Leavenworth because up until that point, uh, Bishop Miege, the vicar, had been living out in St. Mary's, Kansas today. And then he, I, I read something online today. It said that there were uh, six Catholic families in Leavenworth in 1856. My family came to Leavenworth in 1854. Now, they didn't live in the city proper. They were out in the farm, so I don't know if they count that. So anyway, I read today that when Bishop Miege came to Leavenworth in 1856, there were six Catholic families. So I don't know if my family counts as one of those. It's not, but I know they got there in 1854. Uh, so before Kansas was a state, before Leavenworth was hardly a town, my family has has been in Leavenworth. So the original name of our diocese was the Diocese of Leavenworth. Uh, and that's a, still a, a big chunk of territory. Uh, and in fact, I, I remember when I was reading the, the book, uh, Death Comes for the Archbishop. Uh, it's, it's actually about, it's, it's fiction, but it, it's about a, a priest who, who's down in New Mexico. And he says, I got to go see my bishop. And his bishop is the Bishop of Leavenworth, all the way, all the way up Bishop Miege up in Leavenworth. So he has to go from like Santa Fe up to Leavenworth to see his bishop. Uh, today, priests priests think it's bad uh, if we got to go to the chancery. Uh, and uh, we we end up having to go uh, all the way uh, up there. So. All right, I'm gonna make sure that we've we've still got everybody here. Um, momentary pause. It it looks like I'm not seeing everybody. Do do do. Um, where did everybody go? Are you there? Okay. Hello. I'm looking. Okay. Yeah, you're still there. Oh my goodness. I thought I lost everybody. Um, that was that was rough. For a second there, I thought everybody was gone. So okay, I'm glad you're you're still there, and uh, I am looking to see if there are, are comments. Okay. Uh, it looks like we're we're still rolling. Good. Okay. So. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, so we, we've got Bishop Miege now at this home in Leavenworth. And as any diocese uh, needs, you need, a, you need a cathedral, okay? Uh, and we've talked about this before, that a, a cathedral is the, the home of a, a bishop. Uh, that's his bishop's church. And the reason it's called a cathedral is because the bishop has his chair there, which is the symbol of his authority, a, a cathedra in Latin means chair. Uh, so the bishop's chair is there. And so Bishop Miege, now that he's got a diocese and he is a bishop instead of a vicar, uh, he decides he needs a cathedral. And being that uh, Leavenworth is supposed to become like the premier city uh, west of St. Louis, he decides he's going to build a big stinking cathedral. And he builds a nice one. Uh, it is the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception, beautiful, tall, towering uh, brick towers and beautiful mahogany pews. He goes all around the world fundraising for this thing. He goes on a trip to South America to, to raise the, the funds that he needs to, to have this, this beautiful cathedral. And it is just gorgeous. Beautiful high altar, beautiful cathedra, his seat of authority. Uh, everything you could ever want in a cathedral in Leavenworth. Now, I, I know what some of you are thinking. Um, Father Sean, if there were a big, beautiful church like this in our diocese, I, I think I would know it, right? I mean, I've been to Leavenworth. Where's this big, beautiful cathedral, the Immaculate Conception? Uh, it burned down. Very, very sad. It burned to the ground in the 60s. 
And so uh, some of our priests who are alive, remember this. Uh, Monsignor Mullen, Monsignor Michael Mullen, who was the pastor here at St. Patrick, uh, he, he remembers the night that the cathedral burned. And it is just devastating because they built this modern, much smaller, not beautiful church on, on top of it. They did not, of course, have insurance, so they, they knocked down what was left of the cathedral afterwards. But that was the big claim to fame of Bishop Miege. He built a gorgeous cathedral for the new diocese. Now, uh, you might say, well, the, the, that's the diocese of Leavenworth, though. What, what happens that we're Kansas City and Kansas? Well, we actually end up uh, moving the chair, the center of the diocese, to Kansas City, Kansas. And that happened in 1947, May 10th, 1947. So uh, 70 years after we became the Diocese of Leavenworth, eventually we become the Diocese of Kansas City in Kansas. And the bishop's chair moves to the Cathedral of St. Peter. It was a parish church, St. Peter, uh, and we decided to make it the cathedral, and it is our cathedral to this day. Uh, so the Diocese of Kansas City in Kansas is the same territory as the eventual Diocese of Leavenworth. It just gets a new name when they move the chair, or the C, Sede, also means chair, uh, to there. And so John Baptiste Miege, uh, he eventually resigns on this very day. Uh, that always gets me, 18 November, 1874, Bishop Miege is done. And and here's kind of the, well, I, I read a book about Bishop Miege. And so here's the thing. He was, I, I guess you can't blame him, but after all he'd been through, he was done uh, being bishop. He didn't like it here anymore, uh, apparently. Now, he, he gave himself all to it while he was here. He was riding his horse uh, all over the place and his wagon, and God bless him. It was a huge job. But as you get older... Eh, you don't want to do that anymore. So Bishop Miege asked, could he please get the heck out of here? And as it goes, when he finally when he finally got the letter from the Pope saying, okay, you can you can retire. Uh, the book I read said that he really didn't tell anybody uh, exactly. He, he left his bishop's ring. And his pectoral cross on his nightstand bed kind of counter and left in the morning and headed back east to St. Louis. Uh, and, you know, obviously he had to tell somebody that, hey, I got the letter from the Pope. I'm not your bishop anymore. But literally, when you get that letter that says you're not the bishop anymore, I guess you're done. And he was done. So he left. I think he lived about another 10 years or so. He, he taught. He was a, a professor. Um, he ends up dying, I think, in, in Maryland. I think he's buried out there in, in Maryland, actually, at a, a Jesuit uh, house. But um, Bishop Miege, uh, I, I don't think we, we talked too much about him not wanting to be here at the end because he did so much for the diocese uh, at the beginning, especially as our first bishop. And he is a pretty famous bishop in America because that vicariate of the Indian Territory was a big stinking deal and and he did it and so bishop miege uh lives on today with the uh the high school here in the archdiocese that's named after him so everyone's familiar with uh, bishop miege high school uh it was saint agnes high school when it was associated with the parish and then it, it got renamed to be bishop miege uh, high school so if you wonder where that name comes from he was our first our first bishop the vicar and then bishop um when he finally does get to retire um, we need a new bishop quick, so they grab um, one of the Benedictines up in Atchison, Bishop uh, Fink, uh, becomes the next bishop. And then we go on through what we've had about, how many bishops are we on now? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Bishop, Archbishop Nauman is the 11th uh, bishop of Kansas City. So to, to put it all with a nice little bow, how did we become the archdiocese? And what the heck is an archdiocese well basically arch means first or chief uh so it, it's uh it's it's a diocese every archdiocese is a diocese but uh the way the church structure gets organized um 
you, you start out as a, a diocese and you are under some other bigger diocese. So for instance, when the Diocese of Leavenworth was created, it was what's called the Suffragan or the Little Diocese under the Big Diocese of St. Louis. In fact, the entire west of the United States was the Louisiana Archdiocese. Remember the Louisiana Purchase? Yeah, Louisiana, that whole center of the country. Eventually they established St. Louis as an archdiocese, and so the Diocese of Leavenworth is created as a suffragan diocese, a little diocese, under St. Louis. And then eventually, uh, we get big enough out here in Kansas that we don't need to be a little diocese under that big diocese off in the east. We can be our own big diocese. And so they take the state of Kansas and create the province of Kansas City. So the whole state of Kansas is the province of Kansas City. And one of the dioceses is the big, big diocese, the archdiocese. So Kansas City becomes the new St. Louis. So Kansas City is the archdiocese. And the other diocese, I mentioned Wichita and Concordia. Uh, Concordia got suppressed. Today in Kansas, we have the Archdiocese of Kansas City, and then we have the Diocese of Wichita, the Diocese of Salina, and the Diocese of Dodge City. So there are four dioceses, that's territories in Kansas, and one of those is more equal than others, shall we say. Uh, each diocese runs itself, but the uh, Archdiocese of Kansas City is the first created and the most important, most preeminent chief first uh, diocese, there's not a whole lot of actual more power. A uh, little bit more today. Pope Francis is given a little bit more power. The uh, the Archbishop is called the Metropolitan uh, Bishop of the province of Kansas City. So that's a that's a whole bunch of Catholic mumbo jumbo. But in case you're interested, uh, that's that's where all that stuff comes from. Uh, okay. Uh, so I'm I'm still waiting for some questions here. I see we got we got people uh, uh, listening. And uh, I'm not just seeing uh, a whole bunch of uh, questions. So if, if you'd like to ask some questions, that would be super cool, actually. Um, and uh, I would be happy to, to answer those questions. All right. Uh, but not seeing those right now, <laughs> um, I will point out that... Um, Archbishop, uh, so we've talked about bishops, archbishops, vicars, apostolic, and things like that. Um, the other uh, thing that happens is that when uh, a diocese is no longer existing, uh, so I mentioned that we used to be the Diocese of Leavenworth and we became the Diocese of Kansas City. Well, the church likes to keep those names around. So the Diocese of Leavenworth, although it no longer exists, uh, you can actually get named the Bishop of Leavenworth. In fact, if some of us here in Kansas City remember our auxiliary bishop, Bishop Marion Forst, uh, he was the Bishop of Leavenworth. Now, it's uh, honorific, okay, because uh, every bishop is supposed to have a diocese, but there are more bishops than there are territorial dioceses, so they'll give them names of dioceses that are defunct. Uh, so... Um, we have the uh, Diocese of Leavenworth is defunct, but you can get that name as a title. So a titular bishop, uh, Bishop Forrest, got that. And then, let's see, I met Bishop Barry Nestout in Washington, D.C. before he moved. He was Bishop of Leavenworth. I'm trying to think who's the Bishop of Leavenworth now. Um, there is some guy. The, there's another Bishop of Leavenworth now, but it's just a, a titular uh, bishop, so... All right, uh, we have a question. Let's see. Father Sean, Mark Gilstrap asks, did your family get to see Abe Lincoln in 1854 in Leavenworth? Good question. Um, I have seen the Lincoln carriage that uh, Abraham Lincoln rode in. I would assume my family did uh, because my great-great-great-grandfather was actually in the state legislature, the early, like one of the original Kansas legislatures, uh, and so being a little politically involved uh, themselves, I, I would assume that they did. Now, we don't have uh, 
written records about that. Uh, but yeah, so a lot of people don't know Abraham Lincoln uh, came to Kansas to Leavenworth uh, in 1854. So uh, I do not know of my family that. However, um, I do believe that my my family was invited to John F. Kennedy's inauguration and inaugural balls. My mom's side, they're, they're Kennedys from, from Ireland. So we, we do have that little claim to fame. But I don't know if they met Abraham Lincoln. So good question, though, Mark. Um, wow, we're, we're losing our, our viewers here. So uh, that, may, that may, have to, may have to be a wrap for the <laughs> John the Baptist show. I don't know. Um, so to recap, Juan de Padilla, first Catholics in Kansas that we know of, first, first martyr uh, for the faith here, first saint in Kansas, Juan de Padilla, uh 1544 thereabouts so that's that's pretty amazing uh fast forward really then kansas develops under the indian territory and rose philippine duchenne comes here in 1841 uh jesuits and others of course got to to leavenworth more in the 16th century uh and so the fort leavenworth uh has history going back to the 1700s early 1800s and so that's all Kansas is starting to come on the map. And of course, wherever things come on the map, the church comes. And uh, so eventually we get missions here and it grows big enough that we create the vicariate uh, of the apostolic, uh, the, the apostolic vicariate of the Indian territory. Uh, and Bishop Miege is appointed the first bishop. Uh, let's see there. We got a question. Oh, uh, John uh, Batliner is asking who was the first archbishop. Well, um, that would be, let's see. Um, I think was Don, we became, I think it was Donnelly. Uh, bishop Donnelly, I think became archbishop Donnelly. Maybe I'm trying to think when we became the archdiocese. No, that was 52. Uh, so who was bishop in 52? That would be Hunkler. Yes, yeah, so Bishop Hunkler would have been Bishop of Kansas City. And then in 1952, the, the diocese was raised to become an archdiocese. So Bishop Hunkler was the last bishop and the first archbishop. So the, an archbishop is head of an archdiocese. So good question, John. Uh, that would be uh, Archbishop Hunkler when the diocese became an archdiocese in 1952. All right, where was I? Good questions, though. Anyone else want to jump in there? Um, so we become the diocese of the Vicariate of the Indian Territory, all the way out to Pikes Peak, Colorado. Uh, Bishop Miege riding his horse all over the place. And then eventually our territory shrinks a little bit. We get reduced down to Kansas. We become the Diocese of Leavenworth. Diocese of Leavenworth becomes the Diocese of Kansas City and Kansas. And then in 1952, the Diocese of Kansas City gets elevated to become the Archdiocese of Kansas City and Kansas, which we know and love to this day. So that's a brief overview of the, the history of kind of the, the territory um, and some of the, the famous saints in Kansas. Um, bishop Fink, I mentioned our, our second bishop, um, went to attend one of the, the most important uh, meetings of the bishops of the United States uh, in Baltimore. So the, the Third Council of Baltimore so this is be before, um, really, we, we, we have a big expansion of diocese and things around the country. He represents our little diocese of Leavenworth. And so when I was in Washington, D.C., I was able to go up to the, the cathedral in Baltimore where all the bishops of the country met. So we know, like, the USCCB is meeting via Zoom this week. Like, all the American bishops are having their November meeting via Zoom. Well, you didn't do Zoom in those days. Uh, you had to go from Leavenworth to Washington D.C., um, and I don't, I don't know if you could could you go by railroad at that? No, I think maybe at some point he could have gone by train. I'm not sure. Probably part of it he went by train. But I go to the cathedral in Baltimore, and there on the wall they have a big stone uh, tablet that lists um, all of the bishops that were present at the Council of Baltimore. And, and there, there it is, uh, Bishop Fink from the Diocese of Leavenworth uh, is, is on the wall there. So I've, I've got a, a picture of that. Uh, Mark is asking, any legends of Bishop Miege while up in Lawrence? 
sleeping with a pistol on his dresser during the time of Quantrill's raids up there. I don't know about the sleeping with a pistol thing, but what I do know uh, is that it's more than just legend. I believe it's actually true that uh, Bishop Miege was, in fact, in Lawrence when Quantrill's raiders came, uh, and he went, I, I think they even came by his house, and he went out and tried to dissuade them. Um, so yes, I believe Bishop Miege did in fact meet Quantrill, uh, while he was there to raid Lawrence. For those not from the area and not familiar with the lore, uh, Quantrill was one of the leaders of a gang of, uh, border ruffians at the Bleeding Kansas years before the Civil War, in which, uh, people were trying to get Kansas admitted to the Union as a slave state, uh, so as to tip the balance of power more towards slavery, uh, Quantrill and his raiders come and they, they burn to the ground, basically Lawrence as a, a center of uh, free state, uh, activity. And, uh, Bishop Miege happened to be in Lawrence at that time. St. Mary's, Kansas, where he had his residence is a little bit west of Topeka. And as I said, he made the rounds. So he was in Lawrence at the time. Uh, after Vatican II, who was the Archbishop to address all of the changes? Was it perhaps Archbishop Strecker? Uh, not sure if I spelled his name correctly. Great question. So um, Bishop Hunkler would have ended his time in September of 1969. So as Archbishop Hunkler at that point. And so Second Vatican Council got over in 1965. Uh, a lot of the big liturgical changes were just starting to take place in 1969. Maybe that's why he retired. I don't know. So Bishop Archbishop Strecker uh, took over in September of 1969, and it was it was really 1970 uh, and thereafter that a lot of the the big liturgical changes kind of hit us. So we would probably give credit to Archbishop Strecker as being the bishop after the Second Vatican Council that helped make things happen. And I will say that uh, uh, I owe a debt of gratitude to Archbishop uh, Strecker, not just because he he confirmed me. But one of the things he did after the Second Vatican Council uh, was see the, the need for uh, education. And he eventually established the St. Lawrence Catholic Campus Center in Lawrence um, and making uh, Monsignor Vince Crisci the director there. And uh, my life has forever changed because of that. So one of the good things that happened after Vatican II in Archdiocese was uh, Archbishop Strecker uh, created uh, a lot of Catholic schools, the need for Catholic education, and especially the... Uh, St. Lawrence Catholic Campus Center. So Archbishop Strecker, uh, hats off to to him uh, for helping implement the, the council uh, afterwards. Good question, John. Um, let me see if I'm... Well, I mentioned, so after Archbishop Strecker, he re retired in 93, and then Archbishop Kelleher, who is still alive, who most of us will remember, uh, was bishop from 93 to 2005. Um I mentioned auxiliary bishops. There's a special kind of auxiliary bishop called a coadjutor bishop or coadjutor bishop. Uh, they're actually named a coadjutor means helper, sort of. Um, yeah, with authority. Uh, what's often the case normally with coadjutor bishops is they're named while the current bishop is still in office and the new bishop is given right of succession. So Archbishop Nauman uh, was was named uh, first um, co-adjutor bishop in like January of 2004, I think. And then a year later in January of 2005, uh, Archbishop Kelleher retired and Archbishop Nauman took over as our archbishop. And he's been our archbishop since January 2005. Uh, so quite a while for bishops these days. Um most of the time when you become an archbishop, you don't move. Since archbishop is kind of the the big chief diocese, um, if you're going to move from archbishop to somewhere, it's it's somewhere big like Chicago or Washington, D.C. or, you know, Philadelphia, something like that, New York. Uh, sometimes then you'll move. It used to be, though, that bishops didn't move at all. Um, like Bishop Miege, most famous bishop west of St. Louis, I mean, he never... He never, like, got promoted, as we look at it today, to, like, go off and be an archbishop someplace else. Um, it was seen when you're named a bishop, you're a bishop of a place for life. 
um, which is a little sad that uh, Bishop Miege left, retired, and he's not even buried here. In most cases, when a, a bishop dies, they're they're buried like in the cathedral or so. We don't we don't have much room in our cathedral. Um, uh, one of our bishops is buried there. Archbishop Streckard is buried uh, across from the chancery at Gate of Heaven Cemetery. Uh, I believe Archbishop. Which one is it? Is, is it uh, one of our bishops is in the cathedral. It's Schulte or Hunkler. I think Hunkler's out at St. Mary's. I forget. Um, Archbishop Nauman, I think says he wants to be buried in the cathedral so normally we don't bury people in churches anymore but bishops get to do that so um there will be some bishops uh buried in cathedrals um in the cathedral of baltimore the very first bishop of the united states bishop john carroll is buried there when i was in dc i did masses on the the weekends at the parish that john carroll founded in washington and his mom is buried out in the churchyard as well as daniel carroll the only Catholic signer of the Constitution. So pretty cool there. Um, that was my parish when I was in D.C. All right. I'm stalling, waiting for questions, but I think we probably got them all now. I see we've got all the comments. Take care of anybody else. All right. Well, that's uh, that's 55 minutes, basically, of, of Sean the Baptist Live. Uh, so... I'd like to make this about your questions. So if you want to send me uh, questions during the week, Father Sean at SeanTheBaptist.org. Uh, if you want to check out uh, all the archive stuff, SeanTheBaptist.org. That's S-H-A-W-N, TheBaptist.org. Uh, my homilies are there. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, I'm doing a morning message each day. Uh, since we're not doing the live show every day, I'm doing a morning message, just about five, seven minutes or so. Um, that's only on Facebook right now. So go to the Sean the Baptist Facebook page. And, and you can catch the morning message uh, each morning. It, technically, I do it live, but I don't know when I'm going to do it. I just turn on the camera and go. It's normally about 9 in the morning or so. Um, but it's out there, obviously, all day, and you can check that out. If there's anything you'd like to see a morning message on or something you'd like us to talk about in the Sean the Baptist live show, uh, feel free to, to let me know. Uh, I, would, I would love to answer your questions and give us a chance to come together. COVID update is that... Um, you know, it, it's. I don't think we're gonna shut down our our churches or anything again. When, but uh, we'll we'll maintain whatever the the health says and the archbishop says. But um, we could be in the need of connecting online more again. So pass this around. Let people know about it. SeanTheBaptist.org. Uh, a chance to get together here on Facebook and on the website. Well, thanks for everyone who who hung on tonight. And uh, this was a little bit about our history. If you've got any more questions about uh, history, I mean, we could do a a whole show just on uh, Bishop Miege. Uh, he's got a lot of stuff written about him, quite the quite the guy at uh, early days in the church in America. Uh, but I'm a, a proud Kansan uh, my whole life, like I said, 1854. And uh, so I, I very much enjoy learning about our, our history. So this has been a little journey through a martyr, Juan Padilla, a mother, Mother Philippine Duchenne, her feast day today, uh, Miege, Bishop Miege, uh, and more. I, I hope you liked the more. So... A martyr, a mother, miege, and more. That's been the Sean the Baptist show for November 18th, the feast of St. Rose Philippine Duchenne. And I pray that the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would come down upon you and remain with you forever. Until next week, I'm Sean the Baptist. God bless you, everyone.